Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and if you care to know, this will be week number 60, and rather interestingly, this is the sixth commandment, and we are at the 36-hour mark, so count the sixes. 666, and of course 666 deals with death. 666 deals with apostasy. 666 deals with the mark of the beast, which of course is spiritual death. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 13 please. Thou shalt not kill, you will not kill, you in the singular. Look at verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery, you will not commit adultery. Look at verse 15, thou shalt not steal, you will not steal. Look at verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You, you, you in the singular. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9. Six days shalt thou labour. You will labour. To these verses, time after time, are aimed at people. Not a nation per se, but people. Look at verse 13 again. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. You will do no murder. And I guess this is probably the most famous of the entire Ten Commandments. Most people know about this particular commandment. Most anti-war people like to quote this verse, how you will do, no murder, you won't kill. Go to Genesis chapter 9. Back in 1915, there was a man called Charles John Cobb, and he was an English Christian, born-again Christian. He was a street preacher. And at the Heights of the 1900s, which of course we refer to as the 20th century. World War One broke out, and around 1915, 1916, things were going uh, pretty bad for the uh, British Army, and the government were desperate for more men to be mobilised, and Charles John Cobb was a local Christian, a street preacher, could have been Brethren, could have been Methodist, we don't know, and he got his call-up papers, and he said, I don't, I don't want to fight, I don't want to fight. And, of course, in those days, there was quite a stigma attached to not fighting for your country. Uh, Of course, go fast forward to the 1940s. It wasn't so bad, but 1914 to 1918, in some ways, if you didn't fight, you were on a par with being a paedophile or a communist or a traitor. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Look at verse 5, please. And surely your blood... Of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require life of a man. Or life of man. So before the law, God is dealing with what is going to happen when somebody takes a life. Look at verse 5 again. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So, of course, the first two guys in the Old Testament were Cain and Abel. And on one occasion, Cain murdered Abel, but he wasn't put to death. That's a great mystery when it comes to those of us which are Bible believers. Why he was spared, I guess, if I was to offer a suggestion, I would say this. That perhaps Cain is a picture of the devil who won't be destroyed until the end of the millennial reign. And many people over the last... 6,000 years or so have been able to go through life very comfortably, beat the rap, as they say. But again, whoso sheddeth man's blood, verse 6, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So Charles John Cobb was arrested, put before the courts in London, and he said quite simply this, I fear God, not man. And he would quote Genesis chapter 9, which we are reading this morning, and the courts were infuriated with it, hated the idea of being told, Uh, what was what. There was a terrible stigma back in the 1900s, referred to, of course, as the 20th century. 
And of course, if you were a British uh, deserter on the continent, or a German deserter, or a French deserter, you were shot. That's how serious uh, Britain, Germany and France took uh, their men who wouldn't fight. But Cobb, a local man, like I say, a street preacher, didn't want to fight, took the position that all death was unbiblical. Of course, that's not the whole story, but from his own perspective, he didn't want to fight, and he would stand in this court in London and quote Genesis chapter 9. And that didn't go particularly well for him. Go to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, and to cut a long story short, he was sentenced to time at his majesty's pleasure, and after 10 weeks of being in prison, carrying coals on his back, heavy coals on his back, he'd been an office waller before he went to prison, they broke him, basically. They broke him in body, they broke him in spirit, and he was released after just 10 weeks. He was carrying heavy uh, packs of coal on his back like seven days a week his back buckled he had uh, lung problems as well and he went back to his wife and child he was only 41 years of age and he died and uh, his memory continues on to some extent but like everything and there's no such thing as a straightforward passage like thou shalt not kill which basically means you will do no murder like every verse in the entire bible you have to be very careful how you approach the subject of death. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse 1 please. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Go to Numbers 31. So I am sympathetic on the one hand to Charles John Cobb's decision and desire not to fight. When the Second World War came around, men like Cobb, referred to as conscientious objectors, were given the opportunity to drive ambulances. They were given opportunities to serve the British military in other capacities. And I remember meeting an old conscientious objector probably 25 years ago, a man called George, who was 94, 95 who lived in the same area as Cobb, and for memory, George wasn't a Christian, whereas Cobb was. It was very interesting, speaking to this elderly man about why he didn't want to fight. Numbers 31, Numbers 31, look at verse 1, please. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. I want vengeance, Moses. You're going to go in and just wipe out these people. To be a Christian and a pacifist, let me say this, doesn't actually make any sense. I remember some years ago hearing a story about a couple who were sleeping. It was three o'clock in the morning and a guy broke into their house. This wasn't the first time. And a man woke up in the dead of night, heard this man rummaging in their living room. He ran down the stairs. He was stark naked and chased this man down the streets. Now, I don't really agree with that, but I know why he was doing that. He was angry. This was the second time that his house had been broken into, and he chased this man down the streets. I often wondered to myself, what would have happened had he caught him? What would he have done to him? Would he have killed him? Is he a murderer? Some people would say that he was. Others would say that he was guilty of manslaughter. But here, Numbers 31 is dealing with Israel as a nation. The sixth commandment is aimed at people. People cannot kill other people. If I come home from a bad day, if I have a bad day, if I get stressed and I go into my kitchen and take out a knife and I go around looking for trouble and I kill somebody, I'm a murderer, obviously. If somebody comes into my house at three o'clock in the morning and is coming for me and I get a knife and I defend myself, I'm guilty of manslaughter. There's a delineation there. You've got to be careful with this. Lord spake unto Moses, 
saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites, pagans of course, afterwards shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. Moses, you've lost your inheritance, you won't be going into the promised land, neither will your brother and sister, because of course the Lord is no respecter of persons. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand, throughout all the tribes of Israel, shall you send to the war. Every tribe is going to be mobilized, including the priests. A lot of churches in the UK are pacifists. A lot of churches like to march with CND. They get their flags up, and they're always against war of every kind and any kind. And I guess if the Russians were to invade this country, they would just roll over and allow them to come into this country. Of course, these people don't know their Bibles. These people don't realize that the powers that be are ordained of God. And here, the priests are going to be fighting. And if you speak to the average church person in this country, they're not dispensational. They can't delineate between the Old and the New Testament. They can't handle these types of verses. They would say, but just lay down your weapons. Let's have an amnesty. Let's get rid of all of our weapons. And of course, they hope that the Russians will do the same, and the Chinese, and the North Koreans. And of course, you know, they will not do the same. They don't play by the same rules. Five, so there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. War. War is God's judgment on sin here. Hell is God's judgment on sin hereafter. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Elias, the priest, to the war, with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. This is the nation of Israel under a theocracy. Theo means God. Ocracy, democracy, means government, God's governments. And under God's governments, Israel are his people, his vehicle to the world. And he will use his people to annihilate the Gentiles in their thousands. This is a very bloody book that I'm holding this morning. A very bloody book. And yet most people don't want to think about this. When I say most people, I mean most professing Christians. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses. And they slew all the males. Kill them all. Kill them all. Eight. And they slew the kings of Midian, beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, and Recham, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. I mean, this is a massacre. Never mind Napoleon marching on the continents, and at his height, he was a real menace to the world. Never mind Hitler just bulldozing his way across Europe. In fact, this morning I was thinking this. Imagine being an Irish student or a Spanish student, or a Portuguese student, and you are studying World War II, and you just learnt about the Holocaust, you've learnt about all the Jews that were put to death, and gypsies, and homosexuals, and Christians, and Jehovah's Witnesses, etc, 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 and you ask your teachers, but sir, why weren't we in the war? Why weren't the Irish in the war? Why weren't the Irish fighting with the Allies? Or sir, why weren't the Spanish in the war, fighting with the Allies? Or sir, why weren't the Portuguese fighting with the Allies? And the responses were, first of all, Ireland, Spain and Portugal were all Catholic countries and still are. Secondly, those countries were all fascist during the 1940s. And thirdly, those countries, especially Ireland, hated the English. And therefore, they abstained, didn't get involved directly in the war. And they allowed Germany to just murder millions of people. And when the judgment comes around, Spain, Portugal and Ireland will have to face the Lord at the judgments. And he will ask those countries why they sat on their hands, were pacifist, didn't get involved, didn't aid the Allies, could have stopped the war maybe a couple of years earlier. I mean, Ireland is just, I think, 40 miles away from uh, the English Channel. 
but they took the side of the Germans, and so did Portugal and Spain. And as a result, when the judgment comes around, these countries are going to have a lot to answer for. And that's one of the reasons why those countries were third world countries up until they joined the European Union. Look at verse 9. And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives, and the little ones, and took the spoil of their cattle, and all their flocks, and all their goods. They're going to go in, they're going to just annihilate the Midians in their thousands, and on top of that, they're going to take captive the little ones, the spoil, the booty, all their flocks, and their goods, because they are the victors, of course. And they burnt all their cities wherein they dwelt, and all their goodly castles with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both of men and of beast. This is God's people, God's elect nation, on the march, on the move, taking out people left, right and centre. And the average Christian today is a pacifist, can't handle this piece of scripture. I remember speaking to a Christadelphian elder some years ago, and we got on to the subject of war. Is there a just war? And I said to him, what would you do if a man broke into your house, was coming up the stairs to rape your wife, rape your daughters? What would you do? And he told me, quite honestly, that he would do nothing. He would hope the Lord would rescue him. Of course, that is tempting the Lord, which is a sin. And I was absolutely shocked that this man, probably around 70 at the time, would just allow his wife to be raped, his daughters to be raped. And of course, you know from 1 Timothy chapter 5 that if you don't provide for your own family, you are worse than an infidel. Look at verse 12. And they brought the captives and the prey and the spoil unto Moses and Eliezer the priest and unto the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the camp of the plains of Moab, which are by Jordan near Jericho. This is a major event. The priests are being mobilized. Moses is the captain, if you will. And Moses and Eliezer the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp, outside of the camp. And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. This is a military outfit. This is what armies do. They go out in groups of thousands, hundreds, and dozens. And when these guys are mobilized, you've got to look out. And Moses said unto them, Have you saved all the women alive? He doesn't want further contamination to come into the camp. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman that hath no man by lying with him. But all the women, children that have not known a man by lying with him, keep alive for yourself. So the commandment is quite clear. Go in, wipe out the enemies of Israel. And if you find any young virgin women, take them for your own, take them for yourself. Go over to chapter 35 with the hope that one day they can be incorporated. They can be uh, assimilated into Israel and they will have another chance to survive. Numbers 35, Numbers 35, look at verse 6 please. And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither, and to them ye shall add forty and two cities. The manslayer, the manslaughter, or manslaughter, if you will, going back to the man who told me the story, how he ran down the street chasing a burglar in the middle of the night he was naked and it would have been a disaster had he caught the man in question he would have put him to death perhaps or got him in a headlock they would have been resting on this on the on the ground somebody would have been injured and there's been stories in the media in recent years of such burglars suing people for uh trying to arrest them or hold them down for the police to arrive look at verse 9 and the lord spake unto moses saying speak unto the children of israel and say unto them 
When ye be come over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. If a fight took place and somebody was injured and somebody died and it wasn't premeditated, that of course is manslaughter. There's a delineation between killing and murdering. And you've got to be careful with this. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger that the manslayer die not, until he stand before the congregation in judgment. Like today we have courts to do the same sort of a thing. And of these cities which ye shall give, six cities shall ye have for refuge. So the person uh, is put to death. And as a result of being put to death or somebody is killed accidentally, they have to allocate a place for the manslaughter or the perpetrator to be held for judgment. He's not just put to death straight away because the state makes the decision and is able to delineate between murder and manslaughter. Look at verse 16. And if he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So before the law, murder was outlawed. During the law, murder is outlawed. It is justifiable to put a murderer to death. I think most of the states in America no longer practice the death penalty. I know Florida does, but most do not. 18. Or if he smote him with an hand, weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Back in 1964, this was outlawed in Britain. A private member's bill went through the Houses of Parliament, and overnight it was cancelled. Up until 1964, if you took a life, you lost your own life, basically. A life for a life. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but of course that got thrown out. So now you've got abortion, left, right and centre. Nobody is against that. But if somebody is arrested for a gruesome murder of some kind and put before the courts and the media get involved and they start to whip up society like, do you want the death penalty brought back? All the liberals come out and say, no, we don't agree with that. It's too barbaric. We don't think the death penalty is justified. And they will fight for the murderer. They will fight for the killer. They will fight for the worst type of people in society and yet they won't spend five minutes trying to stand up for the unborn life 19 the revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him he shall slay him he's gonna honor the death of his loved one perhaps but if he thrust him of hatred or hurl at him by lying of weight that he die or an enmity smite him with his hand that he die he that smote him shall surely be put to death for he is a murderer the revenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him. So time after time, there are grounds to punish the evildoers. And yet, unfortunately, we have people, not only in this country, uh, continuing to stop the reinitiation of the death penalty, but we have women writing to mass murderers in jail. There are women that are not only writing to serial killers in this country and America and elsewhere, but some are even marrying such people. 22. But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, or cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments, and the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled. And he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest which was anointed with the holy oil. Some years ago there was a farmer called Tony Martin. And after being robbed for several nights he got fed up with being burgled. 
And one night, a couple of guys got into his house. And on this occasion, Farmer Martin was ready for them. But he made a mistake. What happened was these two guys broke in. And as they were robbing the house, old Martin was sitting in the living room, had a shotgun. It's very difficult to get a license for a firearm in the UK, unlike in America, which is part of their constitution. And he shouted at these two guys, and they turned around and ran out. And as the second guy was running out of the door, or climbing out of the window, he opened fire, shot him dead. Of course, that's cold blood. That's not manslaughter, that's murder. If you are a police officer and somebody's running away from you and you open fire, that's not justifiable. If you're a British soldier and somebody's running away from you, or they've got their hands up, and they've got their backs to you, and you open fire, and you kill that person. That is murder. And that's what took place in Israel a few years ago. There was a IDF soldier. He shot an unarmed Palestinian, put through the courts, found guilty. Got two years, I think. There was a British Marine who was sent to Afghanistan. And he came across an injured terrorist, and he saw the injured uh, terrorist, opened fire, killed the injured uh, terrorist, and he got seven years in prison. And after four years, due to pressure from the media, he was released. Look at verse 30. Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. You need more than one witness to justify the loss of a person's life. There could be collusion. You could have people that are conspiring to take the death of an innocent person. Moreover, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of the murderer which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. Don't stand around outside prisons in America, linking arms, praying for a murderer to be given a life sentence. That's not your responsibility. Don't spend your time writing to prisoners who have murdered people and asking to marry those people, and on certain occasions even marrying such a person. And he shall take no satisfaction for him that is fled to the city of his refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. In the UK, we have multiple news channels and uh, crime programs and documentaries, and they really do glorify murder, and it's a big business. People are interested in murder, you see. People are interested in suffering. People are interested in people in general. Press are full of some gruesome stories. You go to the movies, nearly every movie that you watch today, if you watch movies, you shouldn't, of course, if you've got any sense, but if you do, those movies are just loaded with blood and guts. People pay good money to watch it. 33. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are. For blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. So in other words, if you were to kill someone, if you were to murder someone, going back to the six commandments, first of all, there was no amnesty for you. You weren't to pity such a person. Such a person was to pay with his or her own life. A lot of women are now catching up with the men. It's not just men who are murdering people. Women are murdering people as well. You're not to show any sympathy for such people. And yet, unfortunately, a lot of uh, deranged women are not only contacting these prisons, like I say, but also marrying them. Look at 34. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So time after time, you see what God thinks about murderers and manslayers. Murder, manslaughter, premeditated or accidental death, go to Matthew chapter 5. And on the one hand, I do sympathise with Cobb. He was a local man. He was a street preacher. He was a family man. He had a wife and a child. Didn't want to get caught up in the First World War. And like I say, people who didn't fight back in the First World War were considered to be the lowest of the low. But of course, there's more to that story. 
There's more to the whole subject of fighting and what it means to fight. And I've watched people over the years attack the British Army. It makes me sick. I've seen people accuse the British Army of murdering. They don't murder. They have authority from heaven to fight. Not just the British Army, but any army, including the Chinese, the North Koreans, and the Pakistanis. And I'll show you that in a minute. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21, please. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Exodus 20, verse 13. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Numbers 31, Numbers 35. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now your new Bibles take the words without a cause out. From memory, the New King James has kept it in, but every other Bible, apart from the King James, has taken those words out, like without a cause. And if you were to read this this morning, and if you haven't got a King James Bible, you're in a bit of a bind, aren't you? Because it would say this, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment, and take out the words without a cause. And if that were the case, then Jesus Christ is guilty of murder, because he was angry. Paul was angry with the church, and also Israel, and so too was Peter. So I guess those guys are in danger of the judgment? Well, of course not. Without a cause, justified anger. But only the King James tells you that. Colon, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. So the Lord is basically saying this, that if you have undue, unjust, unrighteous anger in your heart towards somebody else, you are guilty of murder. You don't have to commit the actual crime to be guilty. Give to your heart, and he will deal with you accordingly. And of course, Matthew chapter 5 is pre-the law. Matthew chapter 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which will take place during the millennial reign. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 26, please. Be ye angry and sin not. How about that? God is angry with the wicked every day. God hates all workers of iniquity. You won't hear many priests tell you that, will you? Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. A justified anger. An anger, a sense of disgust. If you watch some of the news reports that I watch or read some of the papers that I read, you get very worked up very easily. That's justifiable and it's biblical. Go to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, uh, 1 John chapter 3. If you go back to that movie that was made back in the 1980s, Born on the 4th of July, a very powerful movie, a true story about a war vet who served in Vietnam and he came back to America. And of course, by 1974 or thereabouts, 75, most of Americans were sick and tired of the Vietnam War. 55,000 Americans died. And I've been to the monument in Washington. Names all over the place. And this guy comes back from Vietnam. He's a cripple. And basically, he's shocked at how much repulsion there is from people and also politicians. The state washed the hands of those vets and they didn't give him much of a welcoming and the people were very anti the Vietnam War, and he got very bitter, very angry. This is what happens when people are sent overseas. They go overseas, they think that they are going to be uh, warmly received when they come back, only to be discarded. First John chapter 3, First John chapter 3, look at verse 15, please. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Brother, brother, look at verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren... If the world hate you, look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life 
because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother, he that loveth not his brother, abideth in death. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you hate your brother in Christ, and of course hatred is the opposite to love, according to the Apostle John, you are a murderer. Going back to Matthew chapter 5, unjust anger. And on top of that, you're not a, you're not a saved person. You're unsaved. Romans chapter 13. So you hate someone, you're a murderer. And in the context of uh, in the context of first John chapter 3, and I mean hate, you are a murderer. And that's what God will do with you. He will judge you as a murderer. Of course, John is looking at you from the standpoint of heaven, the standpoint of glorification. Going back to the seven angels, the seven candlesticks. But I won't get into that this morning. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 1, please. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So Cobb could have fought in the war. Would not have been a murderer. Would not have been condemned as being a murderer. And if you are fighting for your country, you are not a murderer. You may be a fornicator. You may be an adulterer. You may be a liar. You may be a thief. But you're not a murderer. Because your government has been ordained from heaven. Two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Of course, when Paul wrote this, he's got the Romans in mind. A wicked, pagan, superstitious government. And what would Jesus Christ say to Pilate? You have no power, and what you do have was given to you from heaven. Going back to what Daniel told you, how the powers are ordained, how God brings up or raises up kingdoms and brings down kingdoms. For rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Honour your government, pray for your government, at least once a day. Get on your knees, support your government through prayer, not through politics. Don't become political, that's not our remit. This isn't our world, and yet we still live in this world. And we are told to shine our light, to honour the Lord. For he is a minister of God, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. That is critical. For he beareth not the sword, he beareth not the gun, he beareth not the bombs, he beareth not the weapon, or weapons, in vain. He's not a murderer. He could be a killer. And if you are unarmed and running away from him, and he opens fire and kills you, then he'll have to answer for that to the court-martial. But the basic rules of engagement, like the Geneva Convention, allow governments to fight, or soldiers to fight, armies to engage. And it's not murder. It's not murder. For he is a minister of God, a avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must be need subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So quite simply, God Almighty is sovereign. He ordains the powers that be. He allows the governments to run he gives authority to the governments to do what they will do and go to uh first kings chapter two and if somebody finds himself called up to fight for their country and off they go to fight for their country i'll say this that first of all they're not sinning secondly they're not uh, murderers but thirdly they may lose their testimony it was a major general wingate who was uh, a british soldier professional soldier and he was fighting with britain and for britain during world war ii and he had a lot of problems in his life. He was a saved man, a Christian man. And he went over to Europe and also to Israel. And he was able to train up the uh, Israelis. But he lost his testimony. His lifestyle was unhelpful, ungodly, shall we say. 
And yet, as I stand here this morning, I can think of two American brothers, one a former Marine and the other a former infantryman. Two professional soldiers, alpha males, good godly men, love their country, both born again, both King James, Bible believers, both have fought or both have served their country, and neither, neither, neither are murderers. So don't allow somebody to come along and call you what you are not. First Kings chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, look at verse 8 please. And behold, thou hast with thee Shammai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Barum, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahan. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. This goes back to an incident when David was on the move. Absalom had murder in his heart, unjust anger, going back to Matthew chapter 5. Hatred without a cause, anger without a cause. And Absalom wanted to kick out David, kick him off the throne. And this guy, uh, Shammai, verse 8, started to curse David, started to cuss David. And by doing that, not only was he cussing the Lord's anointed, but he was also cussing God Almighty. Going back to the Elisha incident, when those kids were calling him Baldy, and of course, by mocking Elisha, they were mocking God. By mocking David, they were mocking God. And David would swear to Shammai that he wouldn't put him to death. But look at verse 9. Now therefore... Hold him not guiltless. He's speaking to Solomon. For thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whore head bring thou down to the grave with blood. So King David, one of the greats in the Old Testament, is more focused on a grudge, not God. He wants retribution, not reconciliation. He wants death, not deliverance. And David's last words recorded here would be blood. The last thing that Pilate would hear would be sin. The last word that God would speak to the Jews in the book of Malachi was curse. The last word that God would speak to the Jews back in Genesis was coffin. Cursed coffin. A cursed death. Blood. Sin. Curse. Jesus Christ died a cursed death. Jesus Christ died a cursed death on a tree. Now therefore Solomon, verse 9, hold him not guiltless. I'm going to say this, that David's got anger in his heart. David has got anger in his heart. David's about to go to glory, but he's more focused on Shammai, verse 8. He wants vengeance. But what does the scripture say? Vengeance belongeth unto me, saith the Lord. This goes back to the two natures of the believer. And over the next couple of Sundays, we'll look at David's sex life, his love life. Because King David, like all of the alpha males in the Old Testament, had many weaknesses. And here it's my belief that David had anger. He wanted blood. And he wanted Solomon to deal with Shammai. For thou art a wise man. And knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his head bring thou down to the grave with blood. Blood, sin, cursed coffin. Praise the Lord. We have a saviour who will die for our sins. He will come and he won't speak like this. He will pay for the sins of the world. He will cover all of our past, present and future sins. If you are a saved man or a saved woman. You are the most important person outside of the Trinity of course. The most blessed and happy and uh, privileged person. In the entire universe because you are saved. But King David on his deathbed like I say. Is more focused on a grudge than God. This reminds me of a couple of guys that I knew many years ago. Who were involved in a music appreciation society. And these two guys were in the spat. Basically over jealousy. And one of the guys had more material than the other. And one of the guys was dying of cancer. And these two were fighting. Going back and forth. A bit like David perhaps. And Shammai perhaps. And these two were clashing and one of the guys was dying of cancer. And I was told by a third party that right up until the last minute, the feud was continuing. Pathetic, isn't it? 
Of course, those two were unsaved. King David was a saved man. And maybe, maybe his adversary, Shammai, was as well. But he wanted Solomon to punish him. He wanted blood. He wanted vengeance. And I suggest this, that that's a type of unjust anger that God's people should not have. So finally, death, murder, manslaughter are not all the same thing. Pre the law, if you took a life, you lost your own life. During the law, if you took a life, you lost a life. Post the law, if you took a life, you lost a life. I fear God, not man. Yes, that's true. And he was right to quote that from Genesis chapter 9. But the bigger picture perhaps didn't register with Mr. Cobb. I don't know. Had he fought, he wouldn't have been a murderer. But he didn't want to fight and he lost his life. Died at the age of 41. And as I say, this is his, or that would be his prerogative. When the Second World War came around, it wasn't such a stigma. People were allowed to drive ambulances. And yet I remember speaking to an elderly brother who told me that he wouldn't want to be driving ambulances. He would refuse to even do that, which for me sounds a bit extreme. But Numbers 35, Numbers 31 show you very clearly that Israel, God's people, would fight, were commanded to fight. No pacifism in the Old Testament. And even Jesus Christ would say to uh, Peter, those that take the sword would die by the sword. You take a life, you lose your own life. Matthew 5, Ephesians 4, 1 John 3 say that if you have unjust anger in your heart, hate your brother or sister without a cause, you are a murderer and as such shall be guilty at the judgment. Paul qualifies that by telling you to be angry, but don't sin. In other words, don't hold the grudge, which is what David did. And when the sun sets, you won't be guilty, so on and so forth. Uh, Tony Martin, as I say, the farmer, took the law into his own hands, took out an unarmed criminal, which nobody would be you know, against him for doing. But of course, he shot him in the back as he was running from him. Like the Royal Marine in Afghanistan, he shot this terrorist who was unarmed. Got seven years, was out after four. The Israeli IDF soldier shot an unarmed Palestinian terrorist and got three years and was released within two. So there are differences of killing, manslaughter, but for the Jews back in the Old Testament, they had a place where the person could go who had murdered, not intentionally, no premeditation, but due to a scuffle, like the man who woke up at three in the morning, chased the guy down the street, and had he killed him, praise the Lord he didn't, but had he killed that man, he wouldn't have been charged with murder. But manslaughter, and back in the Old Testament times, would have been able to seek sanctuary until the death of the high priest. 